0: What's up, everyone? Welcome to a sports episode of the Flame Entertainment Sports. It's your boy, Rob, here. On today's show, we'll be talking some NFL, some college football talk with Paul, some Major League Baseball, World Series, free agency, and last but not least, ending it with some NBA talk, including my thoughts on the Heat's one-point thrilling victory over the Los Angeles Lakers last night. And with all that said, make sure to check out the description of today's episode so you guys can see the timestamp so you know exactly I'm going to talk about each one of these topics. And, uh, and yeah, let's get into it. All right, guys. So as always with these sports episodes, the first topic on today's show will be the NFL. And as always, I will be starting off with my Miami Dolphins. As we picked up our third loss of the season in a, a great game against the Kansas City Chiefs. The Chiefs won the game 21 to 14. Kansas City moves to 7 and 2 on the year, and the Dolphins fall to 6 and 3 on the year. Um, this is definitely a, a tale of two halves, uh, specifically for the Miami Dolphins offense. Um, I do wanna, before I get into the offense and what occurred with them in this game. I do want to, uh, you know, talk about our defense and shout them out for just uh, an incredible performance, allowing just two touchdowns against, you know, arguably one of the best quarterbacks in history, one of the best tight ends, one of the best, you know, uh, offensive play callers in in history, and Andy Reid. And, yeah, our defense allowed two touchdowns to them. And one of them, you know, was the first drive of the game, which was, I would say, Kansas City's best drive. Then, you know, uh, another another uh, drive there um, that occurred in the second quarter. But other than that, I mean, Kansas City's third touchdown uh, came off of a, a fumble by the Dolphins' offense. So that had nothing to do with our defense. But, yeah, I just really wanted to, you know, make sure to start off with our defense because I just thought it was such an impressive performance. Uh, I'll read a couple numbers here. Uh, Jalen Phillips and Bradley Chubb, they each had a sack. Uh, Zach Sealer had two quarterback hits. Christian Wilkins. He had a quarterback hit and a tackle for loss. Um and uh, had a couple pass deflections. I know that. Oh yeah, Kader Kohu, Bradley Chubb once again, and uh Xavier Howard, the X-Man. That was great too to see, you know, the X-Man back after missing multiple games to see him and Jalen Ramsey out there. And uh and we absolutely, you know, shut down, like I said, arguably, you know, one of the best tight ends of all time and Travis Kelsey, as he had three catches for 14 yards. Um, With all that said, I want to make sure to, you know, shout out Vic Fangio and the Dolphins defensive coaching staff. Um, I just thought they did an incredible job. They were able to adjust in game after the first drive of the game where Kansas City marched uh, straight down the field. Um, After that, I mean, adjustments were already noticed, you know, um, within uh, the second series for this defense. And yeah, I just think Vic Fangio did just an incredible job. With his game plan, with adjusting, and you know, you know, week in and week out, we can we continue to see the rise and improvement of the this defensive unit. So with all that said, now to get into the offense, like I said at the beginning, it was a tale of two halves for for the Dolphins offense And this one. Uh, the first half, and I, I mean, the offense was just you know stagnant. It was terrible. Um, it just yeah, I I don't know what was going on. Um, I would say some of it. I wasn't huge on the play calling at times. Uh, like, I, I talk about it, like, once in a while. um Specifically, I think of our three losses. A big trend that I, I see within, uh, in terms of McDaniel and his play calling, when we're trailing and, you know, these three losses, literally. Sometimes I feel like he, like, kind of outsmarts himself or he tends to overthink when we all know, like, how great he is and how, you know, he's one of the brightest offensive minds in all of football. So it's just like, um, frustrating at times. But with that said, like, I mean, I think that's so like, yeah, like I think it's with everything in life, not just football. But for all of us, like you know, we're really our own worst uh, enemy, right? And I think that's that tends to happen to McDaniel specifically in games when we're trailing. Um. Also, like, in the first half we couldn't run for anything, and then you know we we're we we're down two touchdowns. So all of a sudden you know there's no running calls. There's a bunch of screens. A bunch of like desperation type of cause. And then all of a sudden, uh in the second half we're able to establish the run. And that's when uh, everything started to change for the Miami Dolphins offense. Uh Raheem Mostert, he finished with twelve carries for eighty-five yards and a touchdown. Uh which was he was averaging seven point one yards per carry, which is just you know incredible. But honestly, that the the majority, if not all of it, came in the second half because in the first half of that run game was like non-existent. Um in the receiving department, Cedric Wilson. He has a touchdown. So that's back to back games with a touchdown for him. Good for him. He had one against New England and now, you know, once against Kansas City. Uh Tyreek Hill. He had eight catches for 62 yards. Uh Tua went 21 for 34 with 193 yards and a touchdown. And um and with that said, like like I said, it was a struggle. We we're able to, you know, turn it around. Um, unfortunately. On the final, our final possession of the game, on a fourth down in the red zone, um, after you know, uh, Connor Williams and Tua weren't able to connect on the center quarterback exchange, and you know, Kansas City took a knee after that, and, and you know, they end up winning the contest. Um, but also all that said, I do also want to you know credit, um, the Chiefs. Um, they have their defensive performance. They had a great you know defensive performance. I um, yeah, had a couple guys here with sacks, uh, Leo Chanel, he had a sack, uh, Tershawn Warden had a sack, and I think there's one more, oh, and Jalen Watson, uh, speaking of Watson, he also had a tackle for loss, a quarterback hit, Um, and yeah, and with that said too, I also want to shout out Steve Spagnolo, the longtime defensive coordinator there, Um, alongside Andy Reid. And, yes, Fagnuolo and Fangio, you know, two of the the longest, Uh, how do you say it, like two of the, two defensive coordinators with, like, a a long coaching career. I guess uh, that's how you could put it. I was going to say two of the most longest tenured, but, like, technically, you know, Fangio, this is his first year in Miami. But what I meant was, like, they've been in the league for a long time. And I think um, a game like this shows why they're still in the league and why they're still so... Successful, and you know why well, they're known as two of the, the great defensive coordinators, you know. Um, because I think they just, both of them did just a tremendous job, and uh, yeah, Fangio and Spagnolo should get a lot of credit for how this game, uh, you know, turned out. But yeah, the Dolphins now, will, you know, we have a bye week coming up, and following that, we will be uh, coming back home to Hard Rock Stadium on November 19th for uh, a game against uh, the Las Vegas Raiders and their new, you know, interim coach, uh, former Giants Super Bowl linebacker, uh, Antonio Pierce. And uh, yeah, and the Las Vegas Raiders and uh, Kansas City as well. They they will also have a bye this coming week. So yeah, like I said, the Dolphins, you know, we fought a six and three, Chiefs fought a seven and two, but um, I do know we will bounce back. um And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing Kansas City in January and, uh, getting some revenge on them okay next up another game to talk about here so speaking of the Raiders I'll, I'll uh, you know stay with them for a second the Raiders picked up a huge uh, 30-6 win on, on at home against the New York Giants the Raiders improved to four and five including having a three and one record at home and the Giants unfortunately fought a two and seven but with that said the biggest loss really came at the quarterback position After missing multiple games following an injury, you know, suffered here against the Dolphins, uh, Daniel Jones, in his first game back from injury, unfortunately, Terrence's ACL will now, you know, miss the rest of the season. So, you know, sending all my best to him and wish him a happy, healthy, and speedy recovery. And yeah, just, uh, you know, it's it's sad to see, but I mean, injuries are, it is football, so injuries are going to happen at the end of the day, and, uh, and yeah but it's crazy you think Aaron Rodgers the Achilles uh Kirk Cousins the Achilles and now you know another starting quarterback Daniel Jones uh, you know ACL and uh yeah but uh, congratulations to Antonio Pierce in his first game as the interim you know head coach for the Raiders um uh, Josh Jacobs in the game he ran 20 26 times for 98 yards and two touchdowns and uh and the Raiders played with their backup quarterback. I know Garoppolo didn't play, so hey, big time win for them. And like I said, they will be here at Hard Rock Stadium in a couple weeks. Face off against the Dolphins. Um and speaking of tournament uh or Achilles injuries and Kirk Cousins, the Minnesota Vikings pick up a huge 31-28 win on the road to continue their 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 winning streak now and, and proving it to a four game to a four-game winning streak. They like I said they moved to five and four. The Falcons fought a four and five on the year and uh, it was a crazy game for the Vikings as their, their rookie who stepped in in place of cousins. Um, he has a great first drive. Then he goes out with a concussion and then Josh Dobbs, the newly acquired Josh Dobbs, they got on trade deadline day, which was last Tuesday, um, a, a week from today, like a week ago, exactly. And uh, Dobbs comes in and he does a tremendous job um, in, in the passing game, in the running game and the, uh, Leads Minnesota to a huge 31-28 win, and uh, yeah, it's exciting, you know, to see the Vikings like this, and even in spite of Kirk Cousins, you know, being out there, so able to pull off a massive road victory, and uh, to go back to uh, Cousins' Achilles injury, unfortunately though, in this game, the Vikings lose another player to a torn Achilles as Cam Akers, the former Florida State Seminole running back. He will now be uh, missing the rest of the season due to a torn Achilles he suffered in their 31-28 win over the Falcons. Um, to see another game here to talk about. Um, oh, the Cleveland Browns, I mean, anytime you do a shout out to me, that, that should be, you know, praise and, and noticed. So yeah, the Cleveland Browns shut out the Arizona Cardinals by a final score of twenty-seven to nothing. Cleveland improves a five and three on the year, including a four and one record um at home. And the Cardinals fought a one and eight on, on the year. Uh, Deshaun Watson returned after missing multiple games. She threw for 219 yards and two touchdowns, Amari Cooper had five catches for 139 yards and a touchdown. And uh, speaking of this game, actually, Arizona, you know, after trading Josh Dobbs, like I said, uh, on a uh, trade deadline day on Halloween a week ago. um, And, you know, um, now Kyler Murray, he got recently ac- activated and been practicing. Now it's looking as if he'll be starting their next game. So we're going to have to wait and see on that. Um, another game. Let's see here. To talk about oh, uh, I would say arguably arguably the the biggest win of the of the week. I would say the Baltimore Ravens absolutely spanked the Seattle Seahawks by a final score of thirty seven to three. I was able to watch the you know a good chunk of this game, and I was just very impressed and blown away by the Ravens' defense. They have a great pa- pass rush. Uh and Clowney's kind of having you know one of those bounce back years salinas i've ever seen him throughout his career it looks like he has more speed more you know more uh agility more endurance maybe but he looks great and yeah that whole uh they de- uh pierce uh defensive tackle in the middle for the ravens he looks great you know batting down a couple passes i saw that and i mean yeah you think of the ravens a couple weeks ago they destroyed the lions and now look they destroy the seahawks so those are two very notable and impressive wins in my opinion the uh, Baltimore Ravens and uh, and yeah, they improved to seven and two on the year, and the Seahawks uh fought a five and three on the year. Uh, let's see a couple other games here to talk about. Oh, yeah, okay, an NFC showdown here, um, in Philadelphia. The Eagles pick up a big 28 23 win to move to eight and one on the year. Great job there, Eagles. And <clears throat> sorry about that, uh, I had to cough really quick. And then the Cowboys, you know, fought to five and three on the year. Um, The Eagles won the game, like I said, 28-23. And, yeah, I mean, they're able to pull it off. And, uh, you know, these games are always tight. Rivalry games are always, you know, amazing. And I know later in the year they'll be playing once again and the game will be in Dallas. So we're going to have to wait and see how how the second part of this uh, NFC East rivalry goes this season. Another game to mention here, Sunday Night Football. The Bengals continue their winning streak. They continue to stay hot. They pick up a big 24-18 uh, victory over, over the Buffalo Bills. The Bengals improved to 5-3. The Bills fall to 5-4 and on the year. Uh, Joe Burrow throws for 348 yards and two touchdowns. And T. Higgins has over 100 receiving yards in this contest. He uh, had arguably his best game of the season, I would say and uh yeah i mean the bengals stay hot the vikings stay hot the ravens pick up another you know noticeable win um the dolphins offense uh wakes up late but it was too little too late as the chiefs you know um or uh, came out victorious out of that game sorry i kind of had like a brain fart there <laughs> and uh yeah i mean you know obviously there's other games but i think those were the games i really wanted to you know mention on here and uh Yeah, hope you guys enjoyed this uh, NFL segment on today's sports show of the Flame Entertainment and Sports. Alright guys, so after not being able to be on the show last week, I'm happy to say that Paul was able to give his thoughts on what's been going on in the college football world as of late. So without further ado, here's College Football Talk with Paul.
1: What is up Rob? Thanks for letting me back on the flame. Happy to be back. Man. Man, Rob. College football is heating up big time right now. Like, I am I apologize to the fans. Didn't get to go on last week. It was busy. Halloween. Uh, school and all these things had going on. So, I just want to say real quick, I'm sorry about that. But we got a lot to cover. Um, big things are happening. Big things that just happened this week. Big things coming this week, coming up. The playoff picture's finally starting to take shape, but at the same time, is it? There's still so much football left to be played, and there's so much, so much good football, so much important football, I'll say, played this weekend. Big time. I want to start off, honestly, by talking about <laughs> the game I was at, which I'm not going to get talk about too long, but it was Pitt, Florida State. I really, really, really thought that Florida State was going to beat the crap out of Pitt. I know everyone's always like, oh, I know a lot of Miami fans listen to this podcast, and they might be like, oh, Pitt always pulls an upset. Look at WVU that one year. Look at Clemson this other year. You know, um, Miami 2017. Pitt always does it. But I think you guys might have forgotten that they already used that this year on Louisville, who's also a great team. Um but they kept Florida State in this game. Florida State, honestly, it was 10-7 at halftime. And it was looking like that towards the end of the third quarter. And then Florida State got two quick touchdowns and put Pitt away. Um, Pitt really couldn't get anything going. They made a lot of mistakes, including a literal fumble at the goal line. At like a, a, They threw, like I don't know, a 70, 60-yard pass. And... At the goal line, as he's crossing the plane, f- the the receiver fumbled it. It's just a a bad showing for Pitt. They're having a really really bad year. Narduzzi is on the hot seat. Let me tell you. But um, Florida State uh, qualifies for the ACC championship already, and they still have three games left to play. Um, the rest of the ACC uh, conference championship picture is looking wild. It's it's still up there. A lot of important games happen this week that am going to dictate that. But I just wanted to. Shout-out, Florida State. Screw them. But <laughs> congrats on the win. uh, Congrats on making it back to Charlotte. Um, and, yeah, next up, I got – I'm just going to try to run through some of these games because they're they're important, man. Washington survives USC in an absolute shootout. Final score is 52-42. Washington edges Lincoln Riley and the boys. And finally – Alex Grinch, we talked about this on the last time I was on the pod, Rob. Alex Grinch fired. He's out at USC. They finally Lincoln Riley finally parted ways with the flawed DC that he's had for way too long. It's been holding him back for a long time, for years now. <sighs> After they gave up 52 points to Michael Pannox in them. Um, I mean, unbelievable. Crazy game. This was one of those games that you knew was just going to be a dogfight because everyone's like looking at the quarterbacks. I like to look at the runners, like the running backs. Dylan Johnson, a guy me and Robert talked about nausea uh, when we talked about Washington versus Oregon, goes off for 256 rushing yards, four rushing touchdowns. Did you hear what I just said? Some quarterbacks don't throw for that on average much less the 256 might be a good game for a lot of quarterbacks in college football this dude ran for 256. on usc side we had uh, austin jones run for 127 and mind you uh these are not it's not just guys oh yeah you know they, they ran it a million times they did run the ball a lot but dylan johnson averaged almost 10 yards a carry austin jones averaged 11 and a half yards a carry um, so it was just like not just a quarterback because Michael Penix, <laughs> funny enough, also had 256 yards on the, about in the air, two tutties and an interception. Caleb Williams had himself a pretty good game, 312, three touchdowns and interception. Um, having a tr- uh, some trouble fumbling the ball, though, to uh, be honest with you, um, my man, Caleb Williams. But they come up short again. USC is just, you know, in a tailspin right now. They've lost three of their last four games, and the, the one game that they did win was against Cal in a one point win. Cal's not a good team this year, so in a tailspin. Next, they have they're going to be in Eugene, Oregon, so probably lose again. Let's see how their defense responds, and then they got uh, UCLA at home, so they could literally end their season. Uh, they're seven and three right now. They could easily end seven and five after starting off their, uh, starting off their season six and zero. Oh. I had said it, you know, at the beginning of this, uh, when I was talking to Rob, I said on the pod, you know, they they have one of the easiest schedules up front, but that last six is arguably the hardest in college football. They had, you know, all all those teams except for Cal was ranked and it was in Berkeley. So, you know, they brought it to them. They had a target on their back. Props for Washington, you know, they stuck through it. They like, it was a dangerous weekend for a lot of teams and this was a, a game that USC had circled, you know, the, in the Coliseum. Uh, they they have a lot to prove, you know, and they, they got Washington, number five team in the nation, coming in. Pac-12 title game implications, and, and man, they gave it their all, but they get, they ran out of gas towards the end. It was one of those games It was like, you know, left, right, left, right, both teams just socking each other until one ran out of gas, and the team that ran out of gas was USC. So, you know, Michael Panics in the voice. You know, they do it again, and they stay undefeated in uh, not just a, a regular season play, but a uh, conference play as well. So props to them. Oh, let me just start off by saying this. The Big 12, I, I, could, I really thought the Pac-12 was going to be the best conference to watch this year. And, and don't don't get me wrong, I think it still is. But the Big 12 might have something to say about that. Rob, let me tell you something. Coming into this week, we had Texas hosting Kansas State, and we had Oklahoma State hosting Oklahoma. Right? Oklahoma just coming off that that uh, tough loss at Kansas. They have to go on the road in the Bedlam rivalry series. Last matchup against Oklahoma State scheduled, you know, in the, in the near future because they're going to move to the SEC. And then Texas, you know, um, hosting Kansas State. K-State is not a bad team. They're ranked number 23. They're getting hot. Hot when they need to get hot, you know. Um, rolling into Austin. It's a, it's an easy game to just, you know, like look, gloss over. Like, oh, yeah, we're better than them. We have more talent than them. I knew either Texas or Oklahoma would drop this game. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. I get, but I'm so dumb. You know, like when you... You know, like, I don't know how to explain it, man. You know when you just want to hedge a bet in the sense that, like, okay, one of these two things is going to happen, like, um, I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to save my ass and I'm going to put Oklahoma State to to win and I'm going to put Kansas State to win because one of them is going to do it. I decided, you know what, why not? I'm going to pick Kansas State to do it, to win, to make the upset against Texas, and I'm going to pick Oklahoma to survive. Obviously... I was wrong, but I was right that one of them was going to do it. So Oklahoma State upsets Oklahoma 27-24 um, uh, in an unbelievable, unbelievable fashion. They basically eliminate Oklahoma's uh, CFP race. Like, they're done. Oklahoma's toasted. They might not even make the Big 12 championship game at this point, uh, being 4-2 and two in the conference, and Oklahoma State's 5-1, and one, along with Texas being 5-1. and one. Um, they're going to have to, you know, depend on some teams to lose and obviously win. And then Kansas State comes up just short in overtime. Just, just short in overtime against Texas, 33-30. to 30. Both both games were just unbelievable. If you get the chance, please just watch, watch, watch the um, the highlights, a condensed version of them. It was unbelievable game to watch, both of them. We also had Alice Hugh and Bama, which college game they and a bunch of other, you know, Media, people were at that game, one of the, you know, premier college football games, no matter what is going on in the season. Uh, number 14, LSU and number eight, Bama. Some people might be looking at this game like, oh, you know, this is a down year for both of these programs. Like this game doesn't mean what it used to mean. And I would have disagreed with them before the game. I didn't get a chance to talk about it with Rob before. But I, to me, either one of these teams wins this game and they're, they're, they come out a playoff contender. You got either you got 8 1 Bama or you got 7 and 2 LSU with some impressive wins. And you know, you only have one SEC loss, but they put themselves in the driver's seat to maybe win the West uh, if Bama can, you know, uh, if uh, Georgia beats Ole Miss. So it was not, you know, this game meant a lot actually to both teams, not just rivalry wise, but playoff wise and, you know, postseason wise. So Alabama. And LSU traded blow after blow after blow. It was 28-28 at one point, And then Bama pulled away and won 42-28. The stats in this game will blow your mind. Go watch the highlights. If I told you that Jalen Milrow, the quarterback for Alabama, ran for as many touchdowns as LSU scored touchdowns, what would you have said? You would have said, Paul, get the hell out of here. You're full of shit there's no way Alabama's run, uh, quarterback ran for 155 yards on 20 carries and scored four touchdowns with his feet and and threw for 219 no picks unbelievable unbelievable performance by Jalen Miro Alabama their offense do not sleep on them it seems like they have made the adjustments to use Jalen Miro to his full power to his like to his strengths making him run the ball 20 carries and 23 pass attempts. That's the type of game that they're going to win. I know LSU has a real suspect defense, don't get me wrong. But at the end of the day, if they can cater to his strengths and that offensive line can keep improving week after week, don't sleep on Bama. Do not sleep on them. They have not lost a single conference game. They've only lost one game to Texas. It was a good, you can't even say it was a bad loss like that. It was early in the season. Um, they have three games left on their schedule, and if they go to Atlanta and they beat Georgia whoever it is, I promise you they are going to be in the playoff, and they're going to make some noise. So do not sleep on them just because they're not in the top five right now. Um, LSU, hats off to them. They gave a valiant effort. Jaden Daniels goes out. With, he's in concussion protocol right now after a questionable hit that was not called targeting late in the game. Um, he only had 219 passing yards, two touchdowns and a pick. Um, honestly, I love the guy. I've talked talked him up a lot on the show, but I think his Heisman you know, candidacy is pretty much gone after this one. It's hard to be a Heisman candidate when you have more than two losses, especially when you might miss a game now because of concussion protocol or whatnot. He did rush for 163 yards, averaging almost 15 yards per carry and also rushing for one on the ground, throwing two also. So it was just a clinic of run. These two guys, I I would have said it before, these two guys can be on the track team of both LSU and Bama. And let me tell you, these boys in the South can run. They can smoke some guys that are on the track teams at those schools. That's how fast these guys are. Jaden Daniels, 163 yards. Jalen Melrose, 155. Both of those, like I said, on the ground. Unbelievable performances by them. Um, Malik Neighbors on LSU. I mean, this is one of those guys that if you don't know his name, you need to 10 receptions for 171 yards and a touchdown. I'm not saying he's Justin Jefferson or Jamar Chase right now, but he's going to be the next best wide receiver to come out of LSU, arguably the best receiver in the country. He's going to be a really highly touted draft pick soon, so keep neighbors on your radar. If you're um, one of those guys who's an NFL fan looking for some college football guys to scope, But, yeah, I mean, I could keep going down and down the list. Like I said, it was a huge, huge week. Um, You know, Arizona takes down UCLA was one of the picks I had made. And, uh, you know, I think some people were surprised by that. I wasn't. Arizona is one of the best three-loss teams I've ever seen, seriously. Um, Utah annihilates Arizona State, blah, blah, blah. Oregon State beats uh, Edges Colorado by seven. Um, the Buffs fall to four and five after they start off the year, you know, with a kind of Cinderella start. Clemson defends Death Valley, which I'm not too surprised about. They're four and one at home, with a one loss being that really close one against Florida State. Uh, I mean, I think we all remember that one, that overtime loss. So, Sam Hartman, you know, non-existent. Notre Dame drops, uh, you know, he throws two picks, only throws four hundred forty six yards. Um, Clemson wins thirty one twenty three, 23 Pretty comfortably, too. They had pretty much the lead the entire game. Uh, at halftime, it was 24-9. to um, And they never really gave up the lead once, I think. So, So yeah, you know. Uh, a couple other games on the radar. Ole Miss sneaks past Texas A&M with a last-minute touchdown. Some of you might be like, who cares? Texas A&M, was, they were 5-3 and three going into this game. Ole Miss was 7-1. and one. This is the SEC, man. If Ole Miss would have lost that game, they would have been – out, most likely out of the SEC championship game uh, talk, but they still have a chance. They still have a chance. They got oh, Georgia next week. Let's see how that goes. So, yeah, um, Oregon, Dogs, Cow, Michigan wins. Georgia survives Missouri. Missouri is one of those teams that is knocking on the door to, you know, give Georgia a run for their money. I mean, to actually win. They keep giving them a run for their money. Georgia wins 30-21, to 21, but... Man, Georgia keeps slipping it through, you know, through the SEC East with SEC. They're probably looking like they're going to make it to Atlanta at this point. I mean, I don't know. No, I don't think anyone can really catch them. They got it wrapped up in the East. Um. So, yeah, Georgia's going to be in Atlanta. I doubt they're going to drop, a, you know, an SEC game. They got Ole Miss this week coming up, which I'll get into real quick. But I just want to say, um, you know, of of the teams, like I said, that you know were in the race for the playoff that are now out, I'd say LSU and Oklahoma. Other than that, we still have a lot of teams. I'm gonna, uh, you know, even oh Missouri, I'd say also is one of those teams that's out of contention. Um, so for those of you who don't know, it's open this year, man. It's real open. We got Ohio State, Georgia, Michigan, Florida State, Washington, Oregon, Texas. Um, we got Bama. Like I said. Ole Miss has a path. Penn State has a path. They play Ohio State this week coming up. Um, Louisville has a path. You know That's already... I mean, I just listed off like around 10 teams who have a path to the playoff. And there's still three games left for most of these teams. Some of them have two. So... Hey, man. Phew. This is a sport we know and love. I'd love to see it. I'm to get into some games real quick. So... Um, Let me just pull up the games. All right, Rob, start me right now. In my opinion, biggest game of the week is Michigan-Penn State. This game is going to decide who is probably going to decide who goes to the Big Ten Championship game when it's all said and done because Penn State already lost to Ohio State, right? If they beat Michigan, Michigan still has to play Ohio State. And if Ohio State... If Michigan also beats Ohio State, then there's a three-way tie. It's gonna get real interesting. See how that works out. I don't even know what the tiebreaker is. I don't even care to know. But Michigan's gonna be in Happy Valley. Penn State's gonna bring it, bring their all. It's a must-win game for them if they want to keep their playoff hopes alive. Um, this is a huge season for them, and I know they don't want to be disappointed. A lot of controversy going around Michigan right now, so maybe they can take that to their advantage and pounce on the opportunity. We also got Florida State-Miami, which usually is one of those games that I I typically think the team who's visiting wins, but Miami just came off a pretty bad loss to NC State, a team that I had mentioned in this podcast weeks back, Um, and, you know, it's going to be tough for them to bounce back. Florida State's rolling, you know. This is a game that they have circled on their map. Usually, like I said, the away team tends to win this game for some reason, but, man, it's... It's going to be – it's one of those things that Miami is really playing for pride at this point. You know, in the season, their shot at the ACC championship is just cooked. Um, but they have a lot on the line. They want to be the guys who spoil Florida State's perfect season and get them into some trouble down the line. A couple other games that I think are really important. Utah-Washington, don't sleep on Utah. They're 7-2, and two, I know, but they are the defending – Two-time defending Pac-12 champions—they're not going to let Washington do whatever they want to them. So let's see what version of Utah shows up. We got Tennessee, Missouri—two teams in SEC East that are seven and two, and three and two in conference play. It's going to be a dogfight. They, both those teams want to beat each other and show like which one is actually like uh, a premier, like the number two team in the East. I'd say um, Oklahoma State, UCF. Oklahoma State, man, they, it, it's, it'd be really, really, really hard for them to make the playoff, but they can win the Pac-12 out of nowhere, man. Don't sleep on them. Ole Miss, Georgia. Ugh. It's going to be a, in Sanford. Ugh. Lane Kiffin. Let's see if Lane Kiffin could put on a master class performance. Shock the world against Georgia. I doubt it, but who <laughs> wouldn't love to see that? Get your, I hope you guys got you know ESPN Plus or, or whatever it is that lets you watch all these games. Fox, Fox Sports One, all these things. Um, USC gonna be at Oregon, like I said earlier. Uh, USC is probably gonna get dropped from the rankings, uh, with a lot to prove. New with a uh, interim DC, you know, coming into Oregon. I don't know, man. There's a lot that could happen. Definitely, um, a jam packed week. I I don't even have. I don't want to take up too much of your time, Rob, because there's so much going on, so much that could be covered, really. I'm not going to get too deep into it, though. Um, I will, obviously, reference the Florida Gators because those are my boys. Um, had a really disappointing loss to Arkansas this week. They got LSU on the road. Ah, man, Florida really could have just, you know, set themselves up to be bowl eligible by taking care of business against Arkansas, but they had to wear some all-black uniforms which my Miami and Florida State fans know are cursed. Every time we any of us three break out those all-blacks, we lose. Arkansas put up a good game, but Florida did not make the adjustments they needed to make on special teams and on defense. Started the game off down 14 within six minutes of the game. It's just a pitiful effort. Um, you know, we need, a, we need this guy to make some changes. Billy Napier's got a lot of change he needs to make. Um, you know, next three games are L S U, Missouri and Florida State. All three of those teams are ranked highly. All three of those teams are serious teams. All those teams in a you know, in a simulator could compete for the ACFP. So, you know. It's gonna be a tough stretch for them. Hopefully they can uh, stay bowl eligible. Yeah. On my picks last week, I went six and four. Um, not too shabby I'd say. It was a tough week to pick. But I'm going to get into my picks. I'm not going to give too much info. I'm just going to get into them, Um, you know, for this week. So we got first we got Michigan, Penn State. (sighs) Rob, I know you know that I'm high on Penn State, man. But and and Michigan, like I said, has a lot going on internally. But I don't care, man. Michigan, to me, has been the most consistent team in all of college football. And that's whether it's sign stealing or not. Those are just the facts. You know, I think they're going to go into Happy Valley and win. Uh, we got Kansas against Texas Tech. All right, give me Kansas. One Virginia Tech Hokies against the Boston College Eagles. Give me Virginia Tech in the upset. We got the Rutgers Scarlet Knight versus uh, Iowa Hawkeyes. This could be a low scoring one. Give me Iowa. New Mexico State Aggies versus the Western Kentucky Hilltoppers. I guess New Mexico State. Let me get Texas State and Coastal Carolina. Give me the chance to clears in Coastal Carolina, baby. Talked about this one too, Tennessee versus Missouri. Honestly, I think Missouri. Um, coming off that loss, is going to be a lot of emotion um, in that locker room. It's going to be at home, but I think they dropped this one to Tennessee just like they dropped that one to LSU. Oklahoma State Cowboys versus UCF Knights. I don't want to pick UCF, but Oklahoma State has a really bad habit of losing when they don't need to lose. Like when they just like should not have no business losing, especially late into the season. So with that, I'm going to pick Oklahoma State. I'm probably going to regret it. Let's go. Come on, Cowboys. Georgia versus Ole Miss. I already talked about this one. Give me Georgia. Dogs. Honestly, give me the dogs big. And then we got the other dogs, Fresno State versus San Jose State. Uh, give me Fresno State. Appreciate it, Rob. Dale.
0: All right, guys. So next up on the podcast, I'm going to be talking about the Major League Baseball. Um, yeah, as of our last recording, we have we officially have a, a new World Series champion. as the Texas Rangers are the 2023 Major League Baseball World Series champions as they defeat the Arizona Diamondbacks four games to one and, uh, yeah, become the uh, current, you know, world champions of the baseball world. They pick up their first World Series title and franchise history after being around for over 60 years. So this, uh an incredible feeling, I'm sure, for all, all the Rangers fans from... 60-year-olds all the way, you know, to little kids, you know, it's always great to see your, win, your team, you know, let alone just, you know, make it to the, the, the ultimate stage, but to capture that title and, you know, like I said, become uh, the champions, the, the top team in your respective sport is just, you know, such an incredible achievement. And it's also not just incredible, but it's very hard to get there and very hard to, you know, uh, ultimately capture that, you know, that trophy, that the ultimate prize that we all want, uh, year in and year out, and uh, yeah, I want to say you know congratulations to the Texas Rangers organization, the players, the coaching staff, the trainers, the owners, the fans, uh, the city, you know, of, of Arlington, and uh, yeah, just very happy for for that that franchise for for that fan base, man. And with that said, I also want to shout out the Arizona Diamondbacks. We also had you know an incredible season this year. Uh, National League champions, you know, come up short I and mean, in the World Series. But hey, like I said when describing the Ranger season, like just getting there, let alone is a, a huge accomplishment and you know achievement. Of course, we all want to win. We don't like losing, but at the end of the day, they should still be acknowledged and you know and praised man, for the incredible season that they had. And yeah, shout out to that organization as well. All the players coaches, you know, trainers, fans, and and the people of, you know, Arizona as well. I mean, both of these teams were um, not very uh, highly praised, I guess you could say, coming into the season, which, in my opinion, is a good thing. In terms of, like, you're thinking of um, being praised by national media, I would prefer for my team to not be praised by national media because usually when you're not is when, you know, you, you do better. Now when you're you know overhyped by the media and favorited by the media, so, but forget the media. It's not about the media right now. <laughs> it's about two teams that you know or are, are seen uh, two unlikely um, opponents to meet at the biggest stage. Uh, you know, for yeah, the Rangers and the Diamondbacks. You know, who would have ever predicted that? That them to the meet up in the World Series this year. And with that said, I'm so happy they did because uh, I'm an underdog type of guy. I like, you know, when teams come out of nowhere, you know, those special groups are, are fun to watch, but it's not just that. Like, when you really think of the whole MLB postseason issue, I would say this is arguably one of the best postseasons that we've had in baseball in a very long time, and uh, but I think one of the main reasons is that we had a lot of new teams, a lot of unexpected teams make it far. We had uh, some young guys make a name for themselves. We had some veterans finally get their flowers, and it's just a great thing to see. that like you think of Corbin Carroll on the Diamondbacks, arguably their best player. Um, and the guy is a rookie, and you see this guy like playing like a like a, a superstar in the postseason. Then you think of Adoles Garcia, right, the Texas Rangers. I'll use him as my veteran example, uh, you know, getting his flowers now. Uh, Adolis has been great now for for like four or five years, right? But now, of course, when you're at the ultimate stage, all eyes are officially on you, and look. Um, I'm happy he was able to get his uh, flowers. And speaking of Adoles Garcia, he actually missed the final two games of this uh, World Series. And look, Texas was still able to overcome adversity one, once again and come out on top and, you know, be crowned, to be crowned as champions of the baseball world. But, uh, yeah, man, I mean, just a very fun MLB postseason. And uh, with all that said, MLB doesn't sleep as free agency has officially opened as of yesterday. Monday, November 6th at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. And uh, uh, speaking of that, there has been already some moves, but specifically in the managerial department, as a uh, longtime Brewers um, manager, uh, Craig Council, um, left the Brewers yesterday and is now going to become the, the new manager of the Chicago Cubs, as David Ross um, has officially been let go from managing duties with the Cubs. And yeah, Craig Councilman, the Marlins legend, World Series champion, will now be uh, yeah, he's the head guy over there in Wrigley Field, and I think it's a tremendous move on both sides. Um, I believe he becomes the highest paid manager, in all of baseball, which I understand it. it shocked a lot of people because uh, although he did have much success in Milwaukee, he never he hasn't ultimately you know captured that main championship, but um, I don't. I don't know. I, I I think it's gonna be a great move for both sides here. Um, the Cubs this past season, I thought, you know, they made a, a tremendous jump. Not a lot was expected from them, and you know they had some uh great offseason additions that helped them out this past season, uh, including Dansby Swanson and uh, Cody Bellinger. And uh, yeah, it's gonna be exciting to see what Craig council does, um, now as a new manager with the Cubs. And uh, speaking of Cody Bellinger. And free agency, uh, Bellinger is a free agent. Um, uh, many expect him, you know, to return to Chicago. Definitely, you know, a new uh, not a new. It's definitely a possibility. Um, and uh, and yeah, I think Cody Bellinger is one of those guys that this past season people saw how good he hit and they remembered what he was like in the start of his uh his career with the Dodgers. Um, uh, you know, after having a couple of struggling seasons. Um, He was able to, you know, bounce back huge this year and do a tremendous job with the Cubs. And uh, speaking of Bellinger, like, he's one of the guys that I would love my Miami Marlins to target this offseason. I think he'd be a tremendous addition to this lineup, to this team, adding a, a big, you know, uh, powerful lefty. Would, would do tremendous wonders for, for this team. And, yeah, add another lefty to the lineup side, you know, Luis Arias. But, uh, <laughs> But yeah, and speaking of my Miami Marlins, so, um, as of uh, yesterday, I, I don't know was it yesterday or Sunday, can't remember if it was yesterday or Sunday, but one one of these days, sorry, give me a second, I'm gonna drink some water. The Marlins hired uh, Peter Bendix, um, uh, who was a uh, general manager of. Uh, the Tampa Bay Rays for a couple years. The uh, Marlins hired him now as president of baseball operations. And I want to say it feels like a home run hire by Bruce Sherman and Cole. So perhaps some of, some of us were too quick to judge when uh, Kim, when it was announced that Kim Ng will no longer be returning in her general manager um, position with the Marlins. Perhaps Sherman has a plan, you know, that we don't know about. But, I mean, all we could do as fans is, you know, Root for our team, hope the best for them. And, uh, yeah, that's really all we can control, right? We just got to put out, you know, positive vibes and uh, wish our team's nothing but the best. So I'm excited to have Peter Bendix as the new president of baseball ops for the Miami Marlins. Excited to see what, you know, what he comes up with, what his plan is. And, yeah, with free agency open. um, Aside from Bellinger, a couple other guys. I mean, I, obviously there's like 100 guys I can name, but obviously I'm not going to do that. But, yeah, a couple other guys, of course, you know, Shohei Ohtani, arguably um, the greatest, you know, free agent in MLB history. Uh, I mean, if you know baseball, you know you know Shohei Ohtani, a, a superstar Hall of Fame-level pitcher, superstar Hall of Fame-level hitter, um, can lead the, the, the league in home runs, can lead the, the league in, like, lowest ERA by a pitcher. He just does it all. Um. He did have a suffer a shoulder injury, Tommy John, I believe. So he this past season he wasn't able to finish as a, a pitcher, but he still stayed in there as a hitter and uh and yeah, I, um, I, he hit over forty home runs and yeah, he's just uh, you know one of those like once in a generation type of players and um many expecting to leave the Angels, which I I think is a a big possibility. Um, a couple of teams linked to him, of course, are always, you know, these big-name teams that tend to spend money, like the Dodgers, the Mets, the Yankees, the Red Sox, you know, teams like that. Um, Then there's a, another another couple of teams, like the Seattle Mariners. I think that's a great team that people have brought up. Of course, you think of the connection to Japanese players in the past. Of course, I would say the last, you know, really incredible or great Japanese star, Ichiro course is a longtime Mariner so that fan base you know they they love their Japanese players and you know Japanese p- people already love the Mariner so perhaps Otani you know goes there and uh yeah and follows in the, the footsteps you know of, of the yeah the, of the other Japanese superstar in Ichiro like I said and uh yeah I think obviously Otani is going to be the most intriguing free agent to follow because, like I said, he's arguably the greatest, like, free agent in Major League Baseball history, so it's, it's definitely going to be fun to see. Oh, another team I forgot to mention was the Cubs that seemed linked to uh, him. A couple other uh, guys uh, I can't come to mind uh, to talk about. Um, I know uh, Josh Hader, who's, like, arguably the best closer in baseball, a longtime Milwaukee Brewer. Finish the season with the San Diego Padres. He's a free agent. Um, a couple teams that I've heard like, connecting to him, connected to him, uh, Philadelphia Phillies. Um, I think that'd be a great get for for them. And I believe uh, Craig Kimbrough, who they've had a couple years, I believe he's a free agent. And I honestly, like Hader is a better player right now. I think that'd be a great decision if Philly's able to you know upgrade at the closing department and snatch to Hater and free agency. Another team, the defending world champions. The Texas Rangers, they they're connected to Josh Hader. Um, he would be a dream pickup for uh, me as a Marlins fan. That would be a dream pickup, man. Uh, I I've just been wanting a closer here for so long, and this past season, um, at the beginning, I was like, oh, we finally found our guy, you know, AJ Puck, who we traded for last off from the Oakland A's in exchange for JJ Bleday. Um, but unfortunately for Puck, as, as the season pro- progressed, um. His consistency as a closer went down, and ultimately he lost the job. Then we trade for, um, uh, who was it? Uh, what's this guy's name? Robertson, uh, David Robertson. Uh, man, might be messing up his first name. Having a brave fight right now. But we trade for Robertson, a long time, you know, uh, relief pitcher, former Yankees World Series champion. We trade, for, uh, we got him from the New York Mets. Um, and he was very rocky after being an All Star with the Mets this year. But with that said, we were ultimately able to finish the season with a tremendous performance in that closing spot uh, from August to September from Tanner Scott, um, who we acquired two off-seasons ago from the Baltimore Orioles, and he just did an incredible job to end the season. So, of course, I'll be comfortable with Tanner Scott back. But, I mean, at the end of the day, if you could add a guy like Josh Hader, like I said, arguably the best closer in baseball, I mean. And then you do that all all every day and twice on Sundays. so uh, that's a very yeah, big wish this guy for me as a Marlins fan. um another guy to talk about um Aaron Nola the the pitcher of the Phillies he's had a great career so far um and uh, I know many expect him to remain in Philly. but to me, um a couple of years ago when Freddie Freeman left the Braves to go to the Dodgers, that was one of those moves in baseball where I was like, ah oh, anything could happen now and you know, any of these guys could go to any team on any given year. So um, a, a team I do keep hearing connected to Nola and that they really like him. And they are a young, up-and-coming team. They almost hit the playoffs this past season Are the Cincinnati Reds. I think that would be a great move for both sides there. But I feel ultimately that he'll stay with the Philadelphia Phillies. Um, but, yeah, those are just a couple, you know, free agents that I wanted to talk about. Uh, let's see if there's other news to talk about here. Um... Oh, well, that's right. The New York Mets, um, you know, after relieving Buck Showalter, a managerial duties, they've officially hired a new coach. As yesterday, they hired Yankees bench coach Carlos Mendoza to be their new manager. So we'll see how that works out for 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 New York. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting. Obviously, you know, big responsibility regardless of where you get hired and all that. But like with the team, they have the expectations that weren't met this past season. Oh, Matt, You saw it. Uh, Mets? Met, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, that was kind of random, but I thought it was funny. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how Mendoza does, you know, as a rookie manager. And speaking of rookie managers, I want to shout out Marlins manager, Skip Schumacher, who's been named a finalist for the Manager of the Year award after his first season as a Major League Baseball manager. And uh, speaking managerial news, so National League champion manager of the Arizona Diamondbacks, Terry Lavelle, is um has been extended. Uh, he signed the contract extension, according to sources uh, from, from ESPN, and that's uh, yeah, good for him. I mean, had a tremendous year. And, uh, yeah, I think he showed he's one of the best coaches in the league, definitely. So, good for uh, Terry Lavello over there. And, uh, yeah, I think, uh, you know, that pretty much sums it up. Like I said, free agency officially opened up yesterday. Oh, actually, I just remember something. Talk Marlins really quick. Um, I'm happy to announce that Josh Bell has opted into his deal and uh, will remain with the Marlins for the upcoming season. I can't, I'm, I couldn't be more happy about that. And I'm excited to see you know what else we add to this uh this roster and what you know our new head of baseball ops decides to do. Uh Peter uh Ben Dix, once again, welcome to Miami. Happy to have you, man. And uh yeah, I can't wait to see what you come up with, bro. For sure. Um, but yeah, guys, that wraps up today's Major League Baseball Talk for the Flame Entertainment and Sports. All right, guys, so for the final topic on today's sports episode of the podcast, I'm gonna be talking some NBA um, as uh, you know the season. As you know, prolonged little by little. Uh, each team has played at least six or seven games so far. So obviously, you know, still a small, you know, sample size, but there is some more things to talk about in comparison to where we are at for last week's fourth episode. Uh, currently right now in the Eastern Conference, the Boston Celtics and Philadelphia 76ers have the top records as they are both 5-1 on the year. Followed by the Milwaukee Bucks, who are 4-2. Um, then we have the Atlanta Hawks at 4-3. And, and who's next? And the Orlando Magic and the Indiana Pacers at 4-3. So just a couple, you know, random uh, standing, I mean, records. Are, sorry, I, I don't know what happened to me there. And then in the West, the Denver Nuggets are reigning champions. They're 7-1. and one. The Dallas Mavericks are 6-1. and one. The Golden State Warriors are six and two, the Minnesota Timberwolves are four and two, and the Pelicans and the Thunder are four and three on the season. Uh, let's see, talk some stats really quick. So currently, the leading po- uh, points per game players in the league are are tied at thirty two and a half, which is Donovan Mitchell of the Cavaliers and Joel Embiid of the Seventy Sixers. I believe tonight or last night. Joe Embiid had 48 points in three quarters against the Washington Wizards. It was just ridiculous. Following Embiid and Mitchell, uh, Luka Doncic is uh, right behind them, averaging 31.6 points per game. Following Doncic, we have Stephen Curry at 30.9 points per game and Jason Tatum at 30.5 points per game. Then the rebounding department so far, the short sample size to begin uh, the new NBA season. DeAndre Aiden, a new center of the Blazers, former Sun Center, former number one overall pick from from the Bahamas, from Nassau, Bahamas. He is the leading rebounding rebound getter Uh, in terms of rebounds per game in the NBA as of now, averaging 13.3 rebounds per game. We're slightly behind him right now is Demontis Sabonis of the Sacramento Kings at 13.2 rebounds per game. Then comes uh, Nikola Jokic, the reigning finals MVP at 12.9 rebounds per game. Then Mitchell Robinson of the New York Knicks at 12.4 rebounds per game. And right behind Robinson is Rudy Gobert of the Minnesota Timberwolves at 12.3 rebounds per game. Then the passing department assists specifically. Tyrese Halliburton currently leads uh, players with 11.7 assists per game. And then Trey Young. 10.4 assists per game. Lamelo Ball of the Charlotte Hornets, he has, he's averaging 9.3 assists per game. And Dennis Schroeder, newly acquired point guard of the Toronto Raptors, he is currently tied with Luka Doncic at 8.9 assists per game. Then field goal percentage, uh, Mark Williams, young big man with the Hornets, he's, aver- he's shooting 81% from the field. Derek Lively, the rookie center of the Mavericks, shooting 77.8% from the field. Jalen Smith of the Pacers, shooting 73.7% from the field. Then Jakob Pertle, 69.4%. Jalen Duran, 66.1%. And then one more category here, the three-pointers made. Right now, Stephen Curry, what a surprise. <laughs> the greatest shooter of all time. He has 47 made three-point field goals, followed by Laurie Markinen of the Utah Jazz with 34, and Duka Doncic with 31, then a three-way tie between Grant Williams, Tim Hardaway Jr., and Tyler Hero. Let's go. Speaking of Tyler Hero, uh, last night I was able to attend the Heat's uh, 108-107 victory over LeBron James and the Los Angeles Lakers. That was a thrilling ending uh, to a big-time Heat win as the Heat improved to 3-4 in the year. Including a three and one record at home, and the Lakers fought a three and four on the season. Um, so yeah, we have the same records now. Huh? But <laughs> like I said, it was a thrilling end to the game. The Heat were basically in control throughout the whole contest. You know, the Lakers were going these little runs, like courtesy of Austin Reeves and LeBron. Um, but then, when things got tricky in the second half, I believe in the third quarter. He, the Heat were up by as many as, I believe, 15 or 16 points. And the Lakers brought it all the way back down in the fourth quarter. But ultimately, you know, the Heat are able to make one final stop. Um, with Five seconds left. The Lakers had one possession. Uh LeBron drives in. Jimmy's playing a great deal on him. So he passes it out to Cam Reddish. And Reddish misses a potential game-winning three at the buzzer. And the Heat pick up, yeah, a, a huge one-point win, 108-107 over the Lakers. and. I want to shout out Bam Adebayo as he makes Miami Heat franchise history with the first 20-point, um, 20 20 10 um 10-assist, uh, triple-double in Heat history as the 26-year-old former Kentucky Wildcat and best defender in the league has 22 points in this game along with 20 rebounds and 10 assists. Just a tremendous performance by Bam Adebayo not only in this game but in general so far this season we've seen the the growth little by little speaking of growth I also want to shout out Tyler Hero who uh, I mentioned in that three point three point field goal uh, three pointers made in sorry stat category a couple minutes ago he's had a tremendous season so far in this specific game he had 22 points along with three steals five assists and five rebounds um Another guy I want to shout out is uh, our rookie, first-round pick out of UCLA, Jaime Jaquez Jr., who's had a very impressive start to his young NBA career. Tonight he had nine points, including a little spurt, where he had back-to-back big-time buckets, including one that he kind of faked out LeBron and was able to make a nice layup at at the rim. Uh, But, yeah, I'm loving what I've seen from Jaime Jaquez. And another guy I want to shout out is Duncan Robinson, who's also had a tremendous start to the season. After officially, you know, being back in the rotation, after a tremendous job in the playoffs a season ago, Duncan tonight had 12 points along with three assists, a steal, and two rebounds. But something I want to make note of is that the versatility that Duncan's been able to add now to his offensive game, he's driving in, he's cutting, he's making more assists, being more of a playmaker. And, yeah, very happy to see the, the continued growth of Duncan Robinson. And, of course, uh, uh, last but not least i want to shout out you know the man himself jimmy butler he ends tonight's win against the lakers with 28 points two steals six assists four rebounds and uh it did get dicey at the end jimmy was kind of shaky towards the end bam was kind of like i guess no, it wasn't really with the bot at the end it was like kind of nowhere to be found i would say tyler was really the guy was you know at least you know Taking shots out there. Um, I believe the Heat um, to end the last four minutes of the game. They didn't have a field goal, so it got kind of dicey. But at the end of the day, all these guys did what they had to do. We came together, made that, the that final defensive stop. The Heat culture way, solely way. We know how to do it, <laughs> and and we end the game victorious. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm glad I was able to you know talk about this game. As, as I said, I was able to be in attendance, and it was a great like playoff atmosphere. <laughs> honestly at the end of that fourth quarter and yeah, he come out on top 108-107 against the Lakers and, uh, and yeah that wraps up the final topic on today's podcast all right everyone thank you so much for tuning in to today's sports edition of the podcast I really appreciate all of you guys tuning in if you enjoyed it if you think anyone in your life would enjoy hearing about any of these topics I covered today Please make sure to share it with them. Make sure to follow us on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us right now on, whether it be Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or another one. I appreciate it. Yeah, you can follow us on here so you, you know exactly when we're, we're posting episodes. You give us a rating, a review. It goes a long way, so I'd really appreciate it. Um, make sure to follow us on Instagram at the flame underscore ES. You can follow me on Instagram at robgao, that's R-O-B-C-A-O. And, yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Stay tuned for Thursday's entertainment episode. And until next time, everyone, take care.